Thank you, Lord. God is good. Just pray that the Lord will speak to our hearts through the scripture tonight, through his word. And as Stephen uh, read the 51st Psalm, that's where we'll be at tonight. But I want to first go to uh, 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter, and I'll read some of the verses out of there, and, then, and also some out of 2 Samuel, 12th chapter, just to kind of set the context, if you will. Uh, yeah, I thank God for the scripture. I, I love the Psalms. I uh, pray that, that the Lord will really speak to our hearts, and, and I, I look at me first as first partake of the fruit, if you will. I look at my life first, and I pray that God would just help us to see ourselves, you know, through the eyes of scripture. But uh, again, you know, we're going to see tonight uh, David's confession, his repentance, and more important, or just as important, God's forgiveness, you know, and uh, I believe that God is always wanting to do that for us when we admit and confess that if we've sinned, if we're living in sin, or whatever the case may be, if we are honest with God. So if you will, turn with me to, the, to 2 Samuel, the 11th chapter. I'm going to read just a, a few verses out of there. Start from the first verse. Thank you, Lord. Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem, which was uncommon. Now, when evening came, David rose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her, and when she had purified herself from her uncleanliness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived, and she sent and told David and said, I am pregnant. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of jo Joab and the people and the state of the war. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah kept, slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. Now when he told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not, have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your, to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, stay here today and also and tomorrow. I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. In the evening, and he went out to lie on his bed with his Lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Now, in the morning, David wrote letters to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter, saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fierce battle, with, withdraw from him, so that he may be struck down and die. So it was, a, it was as Joab kept watch on the city that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and David 
and, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. As we can see, you know, what transpired. And uh, in reference to Uriah, uh, David, you know, saw his wife. He looked, he saw her. He obviously wanted her. He, he, he took her. He had Uriah murdered, so we see he, it was a murder. It was a, I call it a cover-up of the murder. It was a adultery, a adulterous relationship, you know, and he did all those things, okay? And we're going to talk about it a little bit more. But uh, the, the jump over to the 26th verse says, now when, Uriah, now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. It's amazing. <laughs> That's just kind of how we are. We can do things, and I'm talking about believers now. We do things, and we think that, you know, nobody didn't see this. You know, you, you got it going on, so to speak. But God saw, and God going to deal with the situation just like he would do with us if it was us in whatever it may be. You know, I don't know about you all, but I can only think, talk about myself. I know the things that have transpired in my life. I know the time I ran sheepishly to God and fell on my face and repented of my sin. You know, that's why I love the psalm so much. To see when a man, a, 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 a Christian, when he blow it or when she blow it or whatever, but when they're godly sorry and what they can do, how they can fall before the living God. Okay, let's, uh, let's move on. I got a few verses I want to read out of chapter 12 as well. Uh, then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, and, and, and Nathan going to come and give David a parable. He said to him, there were two men in one city. The one was rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished. And it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his flock, his own flock rather, or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. Ooh, David, you deserve to die, if you will. That's what he said, you know. And if we go, you know, in the scripture in Leviticus, we'll see where, you know, and it's, it wasn't just about, you know, uh, the lamb or just an analogy. It was about adultery. It was about murder. That's what it was all about. But that's what David said about the man. And he goes on to say, he must make restitution for the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, you are the man. Thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, it is I who anointed you king over Israel. Is I who delivered you from kings from the hand of Saul, you know, and uh, from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care. And I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have ad added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite. You did it, David. Struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. Uh, have taken his wife to be your wife have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now, therefore, 
the sword should never depart from your house because you have despised me, have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wife, wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie uh, with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. David, as he heard those words that Nathan spoke, he immediately said, I have sinned against the Lord. In other words, he recognized his sin, accepted his sin, and he repented of his sin. And then we'll go to Psalm 51, and we'll just it'll take us a little bit more in detail. But he did that. And I used to wonder why uh, uh, Nathan said that, and you shall not die. And as I was just looking at the scripture, and in uh, Exodus, I marked it out. But, the, but for his crime, if you will, adultery and also murder, those were capital cases of capital punishment. When he talked about the man that what he deserved, then truly that's what he deserved. But aren't we all glad that we have a loving God, a kind God, a righteous God, a just God? David acknowledged that I have sinned. I remember some time ago I was uh, reading about King Saul. And when King Saul did some things, he said, uh oh, and the people, you know, but that can't be who we are. If Jimmy Wiggum sinned, he's sinned, and he needs to fall on his face before God. Trust me, and many times I've done that. You know, I fall on my face before the living God. David acknowledged that, that I have sinned. And he said, the Lord will take away your sin. Let's look at uh, Psalm 51, if you will. Sin against the Lord. That was, uh, I'll read this real quick before we go. Leviticus 20 and 10 says, if there is a man who commits adultery with another man's wife, one who commits adultery with his friend's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress should surely be put to death. Leviticus 24, 17 says, if a man takes the life of a human being, he shall surely be put to death. That was the word of the Lord. That was under the law. That's what they lived by. But we'll see God was so gracious and so merciful. I don't know about you all sitting in the audience, but I can, I can think about times when I, I can remember about myself. I did not, I didn't understand a lot of things about the Bible. But one thing that was kind of drilled in my head is that if you truly ask God to forgive you, that he would. And when my life was in trouble, that's all I knew. And I fell before God on my face, and I cried out to God. I didn't know what was going to happen, but I cried out to him. And I think in the 51st Psalm, we're going to see David, because David know, uh, know the Lord. And we're going to see how David cried out to the Lord. In Psalm 51 and 1, we're going to hear how a sinner is going to cry out to a merciful and gracious God. David says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness. According to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Listen to what he said. He said, Lord, in essence, he said, Lord, have mercy on me. Lord, is what he's, what he's saying. Be gracious and have mercy on me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness, your unfailing love, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Notice he said, my transgressions. Not nobody else's. I'm the one who was at fault. I did this thing. You know, he said, blot out my 
transgressions. I have mercy on me. That's the way that a sinner should come before the Lord. And immediately in my mind, I'm thinking when I'm reading this here, I, my mind just following Luke 18. When the, the Pharisee and the publican, I should say the tax collector, the publican the, the, uh, and the, the, tax collector and the tax collector and the Pharisee, they go up to the temple to pray. And all I can see in my mind is that tax collector coming up before God. The Bible says he just smote upon his breast. It's like saying he hit his chest. And he knew that his life was in trouble. He knew that he was a sinner. He knew that everything in his life was in trouble. Everything. And he fell before the living God. He was sorry for his sin. Lord, forgive me, the sinner. That's what he did. And that's what I thought about. And that's what David did in essence. He came and said, be gracious, God. Have mercy upon me, God, according to your loving kindness, your unfailing love. I'm appealing to your love. I'm appealing to you, God. He didn't go to nobody else. He cried out to God, the living God. Roz and I had a, uh, a, a relative that died not that long ago, and she was not saved. We didn't see him that often, but she died. And we got word from a brother who was a brother in Christ and says, Jimmy and Roz, when she died, instead of her calling the Lord, she was calling her brother saying, saying come and help me. And I said, your, your brother, her brother can't do anything for her. She needed to have been calling on the living God. You know, David appealed to the love of God. He appealed to the kindness of God because David knew the Lord. He knew of God's loving kindness. He knew of these things, and he cried out to his God, his God, our God. I look at the scripture, and I said, Lord, you know, I'm going to be very careful not to be judge David harshly in his actions because that could be me, and that could be you. It could be any of us. But if it is, what we have to know is that we can appeal to the loving God. That's what we have to know if we be honest with the Lord. You know, appeal to God. That tax collector in Luke 18 and 13 said a tax collector was standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. And I've said that many times, God, be merciful to me. I cry out, I appeal to your mercy, God. Because you are the true and living God. I believe that's the way we're supposed to live. We hear Pastor Mike say it all the time about the believer being in, in a sense just in a, with a repentant heart, a repentant attitude. We serve the true and the living God. One thing about sin, what it does, it will disrupt the fellowship that you have with God. Our covenant Lord, sin will disrupt that. And we have no right to God's divine blessings at that time except we repent of our sins. God is good. Thank you, Lord. God is so gracious and so merciful. He said about himself in, uh, in Exodus 34 and 6 says, then the Lord passed by in front of him. And, and this is God making the proclamation and proclaim the Lord, the Lord God, compassion and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Oh, no, about you, but I'm so grateful for God. This is the God we serve. I know as a young believer, I can remember back in the day hearing people say, boy, I'm glad that God is not like he was in the Old Testament. I'm glad we don't serve that God. As I got older and started learning, like, what are you talking about? The Bible declared that he's a gracious God. He's a merciful God because it's his character, and that's how he always been and always will be. And because of that, you and I sit in here tonight because of the kindness and the love of God. David, go on to the second verse. He says, 
wash me, Lord. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Again, he's, he's confessing his sin. He's acknowledging his sin. He is taking ownership of his sin. And he said, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I'll tell you something. You can, uh, the washing that David is talking about, he wanted God to wash him. He wanted to be made clean again. And as we'll see as we go on, because he knew that sin disrupted his relationship with God. So he's saying, wash me thoroughly. In other words, make it complete. Don't leave no spots. I want to be clean. In order to ask that, he must have known that he was dirty spiritually, if you will. He must have known that he was out of touch with God in terms of relationship. And he asked God, Lord, wash me. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. I asked the Lord God. Oh, Lord, thank you, Jesus, that we can come before our God. And if there's sin in our lives, we can confess it before the Lord. And we can cry out that God will wash us and make us clean. And only God can do that. He's the only one that can do that. That is God that we serve. I made a, a note from Charles Spurgeon. He says, when we deal seriously with our sin. Now, when we deal seriously with it now, with our sin, God would deal gently with us. When we hate what the Lord hates, he will soon make it an end of it to your joy and peace. And I ask you tonight, if you need to deal seriously about whatever it may be in your personal life, then I encourage you to do it because the God of the universe will wash you, will make you clean because that's the God that we serve. David said in the third verse, he says, for I acknowledge my transgressions. I acknowledge my transgressions, plural, not just transgression, because there were many. And he said, I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. In other words, David was saying that I've taken ownership, and I see my sin is ever before me. It, it has not disappeared. It has not gone away, but I acknowledge it. I said, Lord, please, God, help me to be honest, to be honest about where I'm at about what's happening in my life. But what I do, I've learned through experience. But I know this, when a believer is walking in sin, there is no doubt in my mind that it disrupts his relationship with the living God. I think about it as a water hose. You're trying to spray water. I'm a fireman. You know, I don't get on the engines anymore, but back in the day, you could say. Uh, I can remember being on, a, on fires, got the water hose or the hose trying to, and you wonder, why ain't no water coming out the thing? And you could trace it back, and the line is kinked up. The water's there, but there's a kink in the line, and it don't work. Sin in my life would disrupt my relationship with God, and that sin is a kink, so to speak. And if you walk it in sin, it don't work. It will disrupt your relationship with the living God. It will do it every time. You can look the part. You can play the role. You can do all those things. But only you and God know. David said, I acknowledge my transgression. Can you imagine? God is so good. Again, go back to the law. An adulterer, an adulterer should have been stoned, if you will. A murderer. But God, the grace of God. David appealed, again, I said again, he appealed to the living God. But in order to do that, he had to acknowledge his sin. He had to acknowledge his sin. Another note, Charles Spurgeon says, my sin is never out of my mind. Never, meaning that in terms of his sin being ever before him. 
It continually oppresses my spirit, oppresses my spirit. I lay before thee because it never, because it is ever before me. You know, I tell you, as we go on to see, as he lived like that in Psalm 32, I'm going to probably read a couple of verses out of there. David, the, the hand of God was heavy upon him. I'm telling you, heavy of his sin. Verse 4, against you, Lord, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. David said, Lord God, he didn't say anything about, obviously, he sinned against Bathsheba, Uriah. Think about this here. <laughs> Bathsheba was married, had a husband, Uriah. Uriah was one of David's warriors. In fact, he was one of his, uh, his uh, her father, Eliam, I believe, he was also a military guy. So him and Uriah served together. They both served under David, you know. And at a later date, there's some other details about them and about Ahithophel and all those things. But the point is that they were mighty men, warriors. And obviously, uh, you know, and then, so look, and David had him murdered. He, he, in essence, lied, cheated, and did all those things. Tried to get the man drunk to make him think that he was the father of the child. He did all these things. I mean, he really covered up some stuff, you know. <laughs> And he thought he was doing it in secret. Sometimes I think we think we're doing things in secret, but the living God see everything about us and where our actions and everything. Notice in that 26 and 27 verse in, 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 in 2 Samuel, it said that the, the thing that he did was evil in the sight of God. It was evil. And you think God going to let a child of God go and, and, <laughs> and do evil and then don't deal, deal with it? No, you are a child of God. The scripture, I believe, said that God does what to the one that he loves? He chastises those that he loves. We all got children. We know what we do when they, you know, we chastise them, you know. And that's what God did for David, you know. But as he, David, wept and he cried before the Lord. That's why he said, against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak. And blameless when you judge. Isn't it amazing that David knew that God was a God of justice and everything God do is right. He could not say, God, uh, you're wrong if you judge me. He knew that he was wrong in what he did. And he knew that God always judged right. Because he always do. No matter what the outcome of a situation in my life, no matter what consequences may come because of my sin, I have to judge that God always do what's right. Maybe it may not work out in my favor, but nevertheless... We serve the true and the living God. He always does what's right. Always. He said, against you, I've only sinned. Look at, uh, I'm going to read Genesis 39 and 9. This is Joseph after the young woman constantly tempting him, constantly trying to get him to lay with her, Potiphar's wife. Joseph says, Genesis 39 and 9. There's no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? I mean, Joseph knew in his heart if he would have done that, he would have sinned against God. Yes, the person, in this case Uriah and uh, Bathsheba, they were involved, and ultimately, but it was a sin against God. 
So when I step out of line, and if I'm a believer in, in Christ, and I'm living in such a way to where it affects my relationship with God, ultimately, what am I doing? I am sinning against God. It should not be, be beyond us to repent of our sins and honor the Lord with our life. Verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. This is, David said, this is the way I was born. This is the way we were born. If we are sons of Adam, if you will, at birth, that means that we were born in sin. Pastor Mike talked about this some this morning, and he was in Romans, and uh, we were born in sin. That's, we, in other words, we are bent toward that direction. That's the way we are bent because of our nature, that sin nature that's within us. You know, and he said that I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David wasn't making no excuses. His disposition, just like you're the my disposition. And yet at the same time, he was taking ownership of the thing that he had done, you know, because of that sin nature. We always bent that way. We're bent to go in that direction. You take a stick that's bent and you go with it, it's gonna always go the way it's bent to go. You know, we fight sin every day. But you know, because you know of our, our old nature, the way we were born. That's the way we were born because of Adam. And, and therefore, you know, that's why the scriptures say you must be born again. You know, but David just acknowledged the fact that, that this is the way I was born, just like every other human being that ever come into the world uh, outside of Christ. I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Uh, he says in the sixth verse, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Notice what he said. Sometimes it's so easy to put on a false face, a false look. We can look a certain way, but God always see our heart. We can clean, out, clean up the outside of the cup. We can look really good. I mean, we can really fool some people, you know, look really, really good, the outside of the cup. But the Bible said that God see the heart. He see the heart. So we can put on a show. We can do all those things. But he says in the sixth verse, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, in the hidden part of who I am. You desire truth. You know, my outward appearance may uh, look really good, but it means nothing. It means nothing if my heart is not saturated with the love of God. You know, and that's, that is so, again, think about that for a moment. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. In the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. Now, where is this wisdom going to come from? David said, you, God, will make me to know wisdom. The wisdom of God. The scriptures say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You, Lord, will make me to know wisdom. So all throughout these verses, he's confessing his fault. He's confessing his sin. He's repenting. And we'll see he's asking God to wash me, make me clean. David's saying, God, I'm calling on you to do these things in my life. I know that I have sin. You notice when he was talking to uh, Nathan, when Nathan said, David, you're the man. See how quickly he repented? Oh, God. He did it pretty quick. He didn't do like some of us. We hesitate and, and try to make excuses. There are no excuses when we sin. There's not one for any of us when we sin. And he said, you, he said uh, behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. And in the hidden part, you would make me to know wisdom. Think about that. Uh, uh, 
lot of people can have a lot of show and you can look real good on the outside. But the God of the universe see our hearts. And he himself desires truth in the innermost being of who we are, our soul, the inner man. And in a hidden part, you would make me to know wisdom. This is the God that we serve. Sometimes we are outward show, our piety, with it means nothing to God. You know, in the world, I was telling Rosalind, we were riding, <laughs> coming here. In the world, you could be on the top today, and you can impress everybody. We see people with their names written on buildings because they do a bunch of good deeds. They give a ton of money and all those things. It means nothing in the eyes of God. It means nothing at all because there's no truth within the inner man. God desires truth within the innermost being of who we are. So all our good deeds, if you will, like on the Wizards of Oz when our, the Wizards talk about being a good deed doer, you know, you could be a good deed doer, all those things. But if there's no truth, if there's not God's truth within the inner man, then it means nothing, nothing at all, you know. And that's how the, back to Luke 18 again, the Pharisee. This time he came to the temple. I mean, they both went to the temple. We can say that two men came to the church, if you will, which is a good thing. And they two both came in to pray. But the one began to talk about, <clears throat> I fast twice a week. This is, uh, and I do all these things. I'm glad I'm not like him over there. You know, these are the things that I do. And he was content with that. So what he did on the surface, it meant nothing before God because there was no truth of the gospel in his heart. There was no wisdom from God in him. And then the tax collector just smelled his breath, like I said earlier. And he said, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. He went home justified. The seventh verse says, Purify me with hyssop, or hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. You look in the Old Testament, if you, in, uh, in the book of Leviticus in particular, we'll see the various different purifications when it came down to, they would, uh, you take a, a leprous person, for example, if they were, uh, had leprosy, they had to be, become clean before they can come back in to the camp, if you will. So they had a purification process, you know, as far as water, blood, sprinkling, and there was many other things they did. And that's how they had, that was God's program, and that's what they had to do in order to be made clean. And David, obviously, is familiar with that, but he says, purify me. And he knew that they used a hyssop, a hyssop, you know, a leafy plant to use the, the, the sprinkle the blood and water. He says that, purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. It, again, only God can do this. No one else can make you clean. Nothing but the blood of Jesus Christ, obviously. And he says that, wash me now, I should be whiter than snow. We know that he went, uh, wasn't talking about, you know, physical washing, if you will, in that respect. You can be the cleanest person. You can be like, sure, I like to watch Adrian Monk, by the way. You can go into the, the cleanest room in a building and never get no dirt on you and be the biggest sinner still there. He says, purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. He knew that if God purified him, if you will, he said, I shall be clean. 
you know, only you can make me clean spiritually. Only you can undo what I've done, the sin that I've committed. Only you can do that, Lord. Purify me with hyssop. Make me clean, God. No other human can do that. Only God can do such a thing. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Oh, I love how, I mean, he just progressively just cry out to God, the living God. Thank you, Lord. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. You're talking about, obviously, David, you're talking about broken and talk about the hand of God must have been heavy upon him. Listen to Psalm 32, 3 and 4. When I kept silent about my sin, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. When he kept silent, can you imagine? I don't know if you've ever been in that position or not. Some of I have. I know I have. You know, and God's hand was so heavy upon him, he felt like his whole body was broke up. It's like God was compressing him, if you will. I've been in that position. I felt like that. I know, and I knew in my heart there was one thing I could do is call on the living God. David says, when I kept silent my sin, uh, when I kept silent about my sin, it seemed as though as a point before he repented, he just kept silent about it. He said, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Because go back to verse 8 in Psalm 51, he said, make me to hear joy and gladness. So there was a time when David heard joy and gladness, you know, uh, prior to this here. David was a king. He went out to war for the Lord and got many victories. And all the people loved David, you know, and he did all these wonderful things. But when this thing happened, David obviously knew what it was like to be out of the presence of God versus being in the presence of God. Some of us know what it's like to be in the presence of God, but yet some of us are out of the presence of God because of our sin. And the only way that it can be rectified is to repent and do what God said to do. David said, make Make me to hear joy and gladness. If there were a time you, you were accustomed to hearing joy and gladness, and all of a sudden it's gone. Why has it been gone? Because of my sin. Because of my sin. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Thank you, Lord. Silence about sin can be like murder. You can be struggling inside, going through all kinds of things. We can put on the face again and put on the show, and we can look the role, we can look the part. But if there's something going on in our hearts and we don't have it right with God, no matter how long we go, we can go on for months, weeks, years, or whatever the case may be until we come and fall on our face before the living God, the God of the universe. Verse 9 says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. I'm going to go back to the first verse for a second. Notice what he said here. He said, blot out all my iniquities. In the first verse, he says, be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. He's like he almost is in a sense up to ante. Blot out all my iniquities because he knew again that only God can do that. It was only God can blot out all of my iniquities. Only God can take away all the things that I've done, all the uh, all that I brought into my life, only God can do that. 
God, blot out all of my iniquities. It's what he cried out for. Hide your face from my sins. The 10th verse, he says, create in me a clean heart, O God. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. I think in Nazareth, it says uh, a steadfast spirit. I believe in the KGV, it says renew a right spirit within me. But notice what he said, create in me a clean heart, O God. So obviously David knew what it was like for his heart had been tainted with sin. And he's saying, Lord, created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And he believed that God would do such a thing. He believed that God, he trusted God. David had a relationship you know, prior to him sinning and doing this thing. David was a man, the Bible said David was, uh, the scripture described him as a man after God's own heart. And, and how he, uh, his, and we see throughout his life, his love for God. And it tells us one thing is that, hey, if David sinned in this magnitude, don't think that, <laughs> don't think that no one in this room is exempt. You know, we may think that we are, but that is the wrong attitude. You know, we ought to stay before the Lord in a humble way and ask God for grace for us not to sin in such a magnitude. But nevertheless, David cried out to his God, the living God. He says in the 11th verse, do not cast me away from your presence, O Lord. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Again, how would he know what it was to be in the presence of the Lord unless he had been there? So obviously he had been in the presence of the Lord. And that's what he was. And now he's saying, Lord, do not cast me away from your presence. And do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And sustain me with a willing spirit. I tell you that the, the word of God is so good. And I, I pray that God would help us to see and to understand uh, uh, the reason I read those verses out of um, out of uh, Second uh, Samuel because they just show everything that transpired, all that God. That's one thing I love about the Bible is that the scripture don't hide anything; <laughs> it reveals everything. It just gives us the whole total picture of everything. So when people come and ask you, "Well, why did this happen?" It's in the Bible <laughs> that God allowed it to be there so we can see it. But we saw all those things. But the most important thing I want you to see is that. What happens when a person is serious about their, them confessing before the Lord? A more important, not only confessing, but, uh, but con and confessing to themselves, then confessing to God. You know, that, listen, uh, Lord, I've sinned against you. God saw the sin. He saw it anyway. Joseph said the same thing. I don't want to sin against God. But what happens is when we sin, and we all do, but when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, and I'm so glad that we do. It's one thing I, I thank God for about salvation is that once I got saved and understood it, I knew that I would never be alone again or walk alone. I knew that God was with me, and I'm so grateful to know that I've had some experiences in my life that I've fallen by the wayside and all these things, but the God of the universe, he heard my cry when I cried out to him, and God would hear our cry. I pray that God would help us take the heart what his words say, and that we would go to the scripture and read the scripture and see what God say. God is a loving God, a compassionate God, a God that's full of mercy and kindness. That's who he is. He's our true and living God. So I pray for the body of Christ tonight. I pray for Grace Bible Church. I pray, Lord God, for every individual that's in here that no one has to look at the next person's heart. We can look at our own hearts, and we know where we are. 
and if there's sin in our lives. Uh, uh, let me say this one more thing. I'm going to close in just a moment. It was some years ago when I was going through a very difficult time in my life. And uh, I was, I mean, I was, I'll be trying to read my Bible at work. Next thing you know, I was asleep. Boom. I was like, golly, Lord, what's going on in my, in my personal life? Man, I was snapping people up. I remember one day at the fire department, the chief said something to me. I snapped at him so bad, you know, and the driver who was driving for me at that time, he pulled me to the side. Jimmy, did you hear what you just said to the chief? That's the chief. You know, and I was going through some very difficult time. I, 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 like I said, I was trying to read. I would fall asleep. I was snapping up. The guys on my shift was afraid of me. They didn't want to. Now, I'm the believer now. See, they didn't even want to be. They were scared of me. You know, but at some point. I realized one day that my life was in trouble, and I had got out of control, so to speak, and I was walking like David, you know, when David said in that verse about how God, how God's hand basically was heavy upon him, and that's what was happening to me, and all I did was I went before the Lord, and I repented, and God healed my heart, God worked in our marriage, and I worked in our lives because I faced my sin, I confessed my sin. And I believe God and the Lord worked in my heart. You know, I'm so grateful. You know when God worked in your heart. You know when you're speaking words of kindness and love and all these things that God had given, told us how to live. You also know when there's something wrong in your life, when you're snapping people up or when you're doing things that's not like it should be as a believer. And I'm not saying occasion. I'm talking about you got into that mode where you're doing it all the time. See, could be out of step with God. That water hose could be kinked up. So I pray that you take it to heart, everything. And so we're going to go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. God, we love you, God. I know that I am excited. I'm, I'm glad. I'm, God, I know that no matter what happened in this life, that we are children of God. And, Lord, when there's something wrong, it's like my, my grandchildren in particular. Lord, they know that we love them no matter how many times we chastise them, no matter how many stupid things they may do. They know that we love them. God, this is how we have to know in our hearts that you love us. And, Lord, when we sin, we can come before our God and we can repent and believe the gospel. And then we can move on in our relationship with you. And that water holds is no longer kinked. Now we're walking in harmony with you. Psalm 91 talk about he that dwells in a secret place of the Lord, of the Most High. Lord, a beautiful, powerful psalm. You know, and so, Father, we pray for each one of our dear brothers and sisters in Christ tonight. We love you, God. We honor you, Lord. And I ask you again, please let me be the first partaker of this fruit. We praise your holy name in Jesus' name.